Welcome to On Living, the Trauma and Beauty of Being Human with Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Have you ever asked yourself what it means to be human? What does it mean to be fully alive? What does it take to love, to really connect with another human being? How do we fully engage with and honor the humanity in us? It's time to really talk, listen to, and connect with one another. Come join in the conversation with your host, Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Good morning, everyone. This is Leanne Nguyen, your host for the hour. As you know, uh, this series was set, was founded on a a question that um, really preoccupies me. And it's the question of what does it mean to be human? You know, what makes us human? A simple, uh, but actually very important, I think very ethical question, as I explained earlier in the series. And throughout the year, I have offered reflections and invited guests uh, to explore this question. And I hope that the conversations so far offered on this show have sparked your own questioning about what makes you human. I hope that this show has helped you take hold of the things that form your own humanity and that you cherish and celebrate it and fiercely protect it, this thing that is our humanness. Because, you know, we live in a world that contains many forces that distract us from our humanness or corrupt it or even sometimes erase it. And I will speak of this particular uh, topic of the dehumanization that we live in, that we live with and live on on a daily basis in a later show. For now, the question of what makes us human has gradually led me to a, a kind of a slightly new question, which is, you know, how do we stay human? What helps us stay alive and thrive as human beings, not as mere mammals? You know, food, shelter, procreation, that's covered for the most part for most people. But what helps us stay alive and thrive as human beings? What makes us different from other mammals? What what can we do that animals cannot? And what do we need in order to thrive that other animals do not need. So, faced with this question, one thing that comes to mind for me is art. We humans make art. We humans consume art. We humans are healed by art. Art helps us survive. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should go and look up interviews, for example, of survivors of Auschwitz. Go back, for example, to my interview early in the year with Jeff Deskovich, who was innocent but went to jail at the age of 16 and then spent the following 16 years incarcerated. He said that books saved him. Same thing uh, with Kevin Powers, for example, uh, a, a celebrated novelist who is an Iraqi Iraq war veteran, and he wrote an op-ed in the New York Times about how literature saved him from suicide when he returned home from the war. Or remember the musician who, at the height of the siege of Sarajevo in the 1980s, where people were shot at and killed randomly while waiting in line for bread. Remember him? He decided to take out his cello and played in the middle of the bombed-out streets of his city 
as a response to the war. Or my interview a few weeks ago with uh, the psychologist John Shaw, who runs uh, a, a, an organization in New York City uh, for juvenile delinquents, who described how the creative arts helped help traumatized uh, youth find a voice and connect with others in a way that traditional talk therapy fails. Or, okay, how about this? Let's do this simple experiment. Take a little kid, you know, play some music and watch what happens to her body and her face. Or stick a jar of paint in front of a kid and watch what happens, how he looks at his own body, how he looks out at the world. Animals don't do that. This thing that art does to us does not happen to other species, I don't think. So today, modest aim, I want to know a little bit more about this thing called the arts. And I'm not going to take on the topic of you know, what is art or the question of what does art do for humanity. <laughs> that would take like a whole year and a whole other show. I think maybe Bill Moyers or Krista Tippett has done already. Today, I just want to know a little bit about how the arts function as a resource, as a service, as a source of support, as a source of good in our society. And so I want to learn a little bit about that from the people who believe in the power of the arts and really whose livelihood, whose work every day is about bringing art to the general public. And uh, so following that impulse, I turn to the folks at Carnegie Hall. Uh, I live in New York City, so I'm tremendously blessed to have access to places like Carnegie Hall or Jazz at Lincoln Center um, or the Apollo Theater and so on. So today, I'm joined in conversation by uh, the two people, two people who work in Carnegie Hall. One is uh, Sarah Villaggio. She's the chief marketing officer. Um, As far as I can really understand what that means, (laughs) and Sarah, you can correct me, her job really (laughs) boils down to 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 figure out how to bring, you know, the power of music to the widest possible audience. And so in this capacity, uh, Sarah establishes and leads and implements the, the marketing strategy um, for Carnegie Hall um, for, I think, close to 200 presentations a year and also a variety of educational and and social impact programs um, that come from this institution. And um, her companion today with me is Tiffany Ortiz. She is um, the Assistant Director of Early Childhood Program at Carnegie Hall. Uh, Her job is, is to oversee and to coordinate the programmatic effort of Carnegie Hall to support uh, communities and, and families through music by working with uh, artists and organizations in New York City, world-class artists, really, in New York City, in the U.S., and across the globe. Um, in particular, Tiffany oversees um, the Carnegie Hall uh, Lullaby Project in New York City, and I urge you out there to check out the CDs that they put out. Um, it's called the Lullaby Project. Basically, what it is is... Uh, it's it's a it's a recording of of lullaby songs that are written by people in uh, various settings in hospital, immigration services, foster care, homeless shelters by really ordinary men and women who write these songs, uh, and Carnegie Hall pairs them up with uh, 
world-class artists to write to turn them uh, into lullabies. Uh, so that's one example of the creative artistic impulse and offering that we humans do that is facilitated by Carnegie Hall. Before I start my uh, much-anticipated conversation with Sarah and Tiffany, uh, let me play you uh, an excerpt from the CD. This is a song that is written from a mother to her baby, um, and it's sung by, I think, Fiona Apple. Uh, You all probably know her. Uh, Here it is. Gabriela, mommy, love you. I cannot wait to meet you. I am so happy to have you in my life. I can't wait to meet you for the first time. I don't know what I'll do that day. I'll cry and I'll laugh and I'll kiss you I will have you You will have me The world will be different and new The world will be different and example from the Lullaby Project CD. Sarah, Tiffany, welcome to the show. Thank you for being with me today. Thank Thank you for having us. Yeah. You know, I I listen uh, to the CD and I I don't understand why I feel like crying and I guess I get goosebumps. Uh, It's just something amazing to me that this thing that didn't exist this before, you know, somebody showed up and decided to come up with the words and the music, you know, and now it exists in the world as this beautiful song. Mm -hmm. Um, So tell me, you don't get to, you don't have to be all didactic about it, but what, how would you explain art, what art is to, let's say, to a kid or to people? Because I think that's, that's kind of part of your job, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. Um, Do you want to go first on that? Sure. I mean, I, I think art is, is really this all-encompassing means of expression and connection, um, community and identity, and it really has such an Im- incredible power to highlight our voices, to share our culture, our language, 
our history, um, and to even play play roles in in helping us as humans stay healthy and and being well, um, and to act as agents of change and revolution. I mean, it has so many functions um, in our lives, and I think we we at Carnegie think primarily about music and the role that music can have in in all of those ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah. You know, I, I hope that I'm not crass to say your job is to sell music, right? To sell <laughs> no, art. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But really, profoundly, to do that, you have to make people get it, the power of it. So how do you think about the power of, of art? If you had to explain it, let's say, to sell it to a Martian, <laughs> you know, what, what would you say? I mean, I think that one of the best and most exciting parts of what I do is actually having the opportunity to learn why an artist is approaching their work the way that they do, because that gets to the core of who that person is as an individual, as an artist, and what they're hoping to communicate, you know, what their intentions are around a piece of music or a performance, um, what they want to share with others. And once I can gain that understanding and to think about having the chance to uh, find those discoveries pretty much every day in a different way um, is, is really exciting. And once I figure that out, you know, that to me is the key to sharing that with someone else and helping them understand what that experience might be able to bring to them. Uh, Tiffany, you, along the line of what Sarah talked about, your your collaborators or your audience is, is like regular families and small children, Yes. Correct. And so how do you uh, put it to them about what this thing called music, called art, can do for them? Well, I think specifically in in the Lullaby Project, um, when we are out in the community working with with families, with parents to write these lullabies, um, it's really about the power that writing a individualized and personalized song can have in really strengthening the bond between parent and child. Um, And they are, you know, they might initially think, oh, I'm not really a a world-class musician, but everyone has this innate creativity and create um, capacity to be music makers. Um, And through this process, they are writing um, really loving words and lyrics that express their hopes, their dreams, and wishes for their children, and coming up with musical ideas that attach to to the words. Um, And the product is this lullaby, and and once there is this final song, it it becomes clear, I think, to parents um, how important music can really uh, be in their lives to connect with their children, to connect with other parents around them. Do you see the effect of it? Do you see a change in people at the end of the process? Absolutely. Like you said, it it can be a very emotional process. Um, And even just listening to some of the the songs on the album can bring tears to anyone who who listens. Um, And I think... You know, that, that is telling of some of that impact. We've seen a lot of parents um, walk away with a sense of pride in what they've created, um, a sense of legacy, too, that it's something that they can gift to their child. But that can be passed down generation after generation. Um, and, you know, we've seen a lot of um, our families feel very proud of that. Um, they, they have also expressed um, their ability to connect to other parents through that program and feel as though they're part of a support network um, and a community that cares about them and their ch- children. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so that has been a huge, a huge uh, uh, indicator of some of the impact around the program. Okay. All right. You know, it's, it's time flies. We, we have to take a very, very short break, but 
still a break uh, for the dreadful commercial thing. Um, so let's take a break here and we'll be right back after a couple of minutes. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. It's time to have a healthier relationship with money. Use it with purpose to create the life you envision. At Thinking Big Financial, your future starts right now. Services include financial planning and investment management. It's not just about the numbers. It's about how they fit into your life. Reach out to Jim to start thinking big about your own financial life. Because isn't it time? For more information, visit thinkingbigfinancial.com. That's thinkingbigfinancial.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, before we start talking, let me play you another piece of music from the Lullaby Project by Carnegie Hall. My baby likes bacon My baby likes sweets So I know she'll be strong And she'll sure like to eat For so many reasons I have been blessed Baby Faith is the very best. So many. 
All right. So that was another song written by just an ordinary mom with the help of lyricists, musicians, singers that were brought to them by Carnegie Hall. So, Sarah, and this applies to you too, Tiffany, but I want to know from Sarah, in your job, what do you find is the most daunting obstacle to bring in music? That's a great question. Um, I mean, I think that uh, there's a couple of things. I think people's willingness to experience or connect with, take a risk on something that they're not familiar with is definitely mm-hmm. one of the challenges we face. Um, maybe fear around the fact that if you don't know something really well, that you might not enjoy yourself as much, that you might not have a good time, that you may not have spent your money wisely. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things. And then I think also just a lot of perceptions around what that experience may be like for them. Um, and and uh, breaking down those perceptions of what might be, you know, available, um, say, like, price points, or um, uh, maybe they might like something more than they thought they would. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's just a lot of, of misperceptions, I think, out there sometimes. Well, like what, for example? What's the most common thing that you, in your strategy, uh, in formulating your strategy, uh, have to take into account in I terms of that, misperception? Uh, the assumption that if you don't, you know, oftentimes the assumption that if you don't already have familiarity with a piece of music, that you might not enjoy it as much or that it's not worth your your hard-earned money. Um, mm. And I think that's really kind of an interesting thing because I don't think that you have to love everything that you hear. You know, I think that you can um, go in and still have a an impactful interesting, thought-provoking experience in your life. Um, and, you know, we spend money on, on the movies, right? We, we decide, oh, I'm going to go see that film, and you walk out of it and you might say to your friend, I didn't really like that movie, and why don't more people do that when they're unfamiliar mm-hmm. with a piece of art, with music, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, okay, so... My response is, since we're talking about Carnegie Hall, we're talking about classical music for the most part. Although I know that this season you guys are doing an amazing job bringing in, <laughs> you know, something that is like beyond, uh, you know, uh, 1835. <laughs> and my, my nine-year-old daughter, by the way, loves it. Um, so my immediate reaction is, all right, you know, it, it's just a stuffy place uh, for really old people white people, you know, uh, mm-hmm. with music that's written like mostly dead white dudes. Uh, nobody can understand <laughs> it. Um, but I think that unlike the movies or a restaurant, there is something demanding about the experience, the act of engaging with music. And I wonder if, if you can speak a little bit of that. Because you can't, it's, it's not just like, you know, sitting there in your pajamas or, you know, with your friends yakking away while the thing is going on, right? Sure, so, um, absolutely. So there is something I mean, that is demanding and extremely rewarding once you go through it. Um, and again, what you say, Sarah, about trying to persuade people, I, I see the same with young children too, right, Tiffany? To, to convince them. To stay a little bit in the piece of music instead of just getting up and, and, and leaving the room. So what, what would you say is the requirement um, for people to engage with music? I mean, from where I sit, I think it's about uh, being willing to uh, allow yourself, give yourself a pure experience in an otherwise incredibly busy world. Um, and I think that that's, that's the challenge I think that you were getting at, Leanne, in, in terms of you have 
you know, you have to be willing to give yourself over and, and uh, solely be stimulated by a couple of elements as opposed to in many other settings in our lives where we are constantly stimulated by many, many different elements. Um, so that can be And what are these? And I think... What? I'm sorry? What are these couple of elements that you refer to? Well, I just think when I go into a concert hall, I, I turn off my phone, I put it away, um, I look around me, and I, you know, I observe the space that I'm in, and I really try to let my mind just be a part of what is on stage um, and mm-hmm. lean into that experience of listening with my whole self. And mm-hmm. I think so rarely, you know, even when you are at home and you're, you're sweat watching TV now, you might be fiddling with your phone, you might be doing something else, you might be talking to someone, and this is one of those few times when you really have to just be with the experience that you are having at that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, another... I, I just want to add... I'm sorry, go, go ahead. Go, go, Tiffany. I, I just wanted to add that, um, you know, we were thinking primarily about the concerts that happen in our hall spaces, um, but there are a ton of other free events that we actually do host at Carnegie Hall, and a huge part about, um, you know, engaging audiences and, and having them listen is also being programmatically sensitive and listening to what our communities are interested in and being mm-hmm. representative of dif- different cultures, different languages, different musical styles, um, and, and I think also a broad range of ages. So me thinking about early childhood and some of the family programming that we're doing, um, trying to really actually create experiences that um, don't just require families to sit and watch, but actually to mm. be active agents and participants in the experience. Um, and how can we design um, programs that really allow for that to happen in a very organic um, and artistic and creative way? Hmm. So other than a lot of our project, can you give an example? Sure. Um, we are now entering um, a space where we are creating these early childhood experiences for um, parents and caregivers with children zero to two. And these are mm-hmm. very highly um, interactive and sensory experiences where um, babies can crawl around the room, can touch the, the performers, um, can hmm. play with objects. Um, so these are really uh, designed for young children to explore and to be part of the music making in a way that um, really makes sense for that specific age range, and we work with early childhood specialists to think through that. We also Mm -hmm. have family days that are free events where there are a number of activities uh, ranging from making instruments from uh, found objects at home to performances to sing-alongs. Um, it really runs the gamut. And so um, those are just a few examples of, of some mm-hmm. of those programs. Mm-hmm. And what is the fundamental premise of such an effort? What, what, what is it supposed to do? Why are you offering this to the community, to the public for free? Um, well, one, we have a very uh, strong um, mission to reach as many people across New York City, um, and part of part of that is um, welcoming families and and people to Carnegie Hall through these free programs. Um, mm-hmm. And I think part of it is also recognizing um, access and who has access to music across the city um, mm. and how they can be brought into these types of experiences um, and. 
you know, also I think we are very interested in, in tapping into different um, age ranges, so not just the older um, <laughs> white population, as you said, but how right. do you actually engage families, how do you engage young children, um, how do we engage students in schools and support teachers and teaching artists who are doing this type of work, um, either in schools, in the community, or at Carnegie Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as I was listening to you, I was thinking one answer that I would come up with is because, you know, when people make art, they can't kill each other. <laughs> You know, <laughs> right? I mean, like, you know, get people like occupied with, with making music so that they can't just go around shooting each other or doing other, you know, stupid, destructive <laughs> things. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I think the beauty of art is that it can connect so many different people. Um, and it really can be this common denominator in, in understanding and experiencing things together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now, as we speak about all of this, right, and you know more than I do, uh, that that the, the the support, the financial support, as well as as societal and political support for the arts, is really dwindling. And so you guys have faced a tremendous uh, obstacle. Do you have? And, and I know you both have studied art in in you know early on in your life. Do you have a perspective on why the arts are so devalued? Right, it's not, I mean, like, look at the funding for the arts or look at how people, a typical person decides uh, h- how a person budgets for the arts. Where does the money go? Not to the arts. Mm. And yet, I mean, as we're I, talking I, about it as such an essential, I, you know, valuable thing. So I don't know how to reconcile uh, the, the discrepancy. It's It's a really good question, I think. There have been other priorities um, budgetarily, um, and I mean, we've seen through the course of, of time that the arts do tend to get pushed a little bit to the mm-hmm. wayside, um, but we all recognize how important it is, and I think we're all um, working actively to, to make that um, an integral and important part of everyday life. Um, mm-hmm. And how we do that is, is through the work that we do here at Carnegie Hall. Um, but, you know, budgetarily, there are, there are obstacles with that. Right, right. Oh, I, think, so, I mean, I think that's where marketing can help, you know, in terms of um, starting with top-of-mind awareness and touch points with people, um, emotional connections to the music, reminding them of something, an experience they had at an earlier time in their lives and, and helping them come back around to it. Because I think like many uh, chapters in our lives, we're more deeply engaged with something at different points. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a perception that sometimes a, a place like Carnegie Hall isn't for me, whoever you may be. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that, that it's our job to really help people understand that there is a place for you in this. Um, to Tiffany's earlier point, there's so many different ways that you can access what we are doing. Um, it's not just about a, concert, a traditional concert experience. Um, it may be about a totally different kind of concert experience. And I think that's what makes a place like Carnegie Hall so incredibly special. That one night we have Youth in a Door selling out uh, Stern Auditorium uh, to the New York Pops doing Broadway music to the Vienna Philharmonic conducted by Michael mm-hmm. Colton Thomas doing Mahler. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. this astounding variety. Um, and I think it's about figuring out for each person where, where they fit into that mix. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I, I went to a concert there, and it was, I think that it, it was a Sunday uh, after the synagogue shooting, uh, you know, I think, I don't know that, what month that was. But anyway, um, so at inter- at the end of the concert, I remember I was walking down uh, the hall outside, and there was this really old lady. She was shuffling along, too, and she looked at me, and she just shook her head. She said, if only we could have more of this stuff, <laughs> you know. And it, that, to me, is really a prime example of what music can do, you know. And here I am, right, a, an, an Asian woman living in Brooklyn, and a lady, I don't know, she looks like a typical, you know, Upper East Side <laughs> great-grandmother. We normally would have nothing in common. And there was a moment when we stopped and looked at each other and acknowledge what we had experienced, you know, and, and just voice that longing for more. Um, only in Carnegie Hall can you have that. Not, you know, in a movie theater. I don't know. No, not on the subway. Um, I so. Sarah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you, you know, speaking of, of, of marketing, um, I am very interested in what you do from having a, had a few conversations with you. Because to me, it's from, from, from you explaining your job. It's about figuring out, right, how to reach people at their place of, of wanting that they don't know they have. Mm. Is that, did I get it right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. Um, I think it's about tapping into emotional needs and desires um, mm-hmm. and, and doing it in creative ways uh, is, is part of that. So definitely. Okay. Uh, all right. So let's just pause on that for a minute. We're going to have another uh, break coming up. And when we come back, we'll talk more about tapping into the emotional needs through music and through marketing. <laughs> we'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's time to have a healthier relationship with money. Use it with purpose to create the life you envision. At Thinking Big Financial, your future starts right now. Services include financial planning and investment management. It's not just about the numbers. It's about how they fit into your life. Reach out to Jim to start thinking big about your own financial life. Because isn't it time? For more information, visit thinkingbigfinancial.com. That's thinkingbigfinancial.com. Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world, across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. 
You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. All right. So, uh, Sarah, let me pick up right where we left off. You said that your job is about tapping into or figuring out people's emotional needs. So, let's say concretely, you know, you're at Carnegie Hall. What is your mission? How to open up this this really old, you know, respected institution, exclusive, inaccessible, <laughs> right? institution right to the wider public what are the emotional needs that you can think of um i think i think a need for peace um i think a need for for connection uh i you know i i think often about how people share the arts or music with someone they care about um or with a, a dear friend and or it's just the, the example of coming to a concert hall on your own and experiencing, say, the premiere of a brand new piece of music with a room full of people for the very first time, that you're having a completely unique experience in that way um, together that you're sharing with people. So I think peace and, and connectivity um, being stirred emotionally are, are things that definitely it with me as, as part of the thing I'm trying to tap into when people think about the decision of whether or not to, to come to a concert. So, and then, so you figure out, how do you do that? Describe for me a little bit about how you, do you actually send out a message? I mean, for me, it's a, personally, um, I think it's, it's a lot of listening to my gut. Um, I think that I, there, I just, I love talking to people, getting to know people, understanding, you know, why they pick. And I try to translate that into the work that I do uh, in terms of how I communicate about what we are doing as an institution. Um, and marketing is funny because, you know, much of it, you you always have to confirm your hunches, your instincts with data. Um, but in the space of writing or communicating, um, it's, it's most uh, purely instinct of what will resonate with a group of people, with an audience. Um, mm. And that's it's just a really a delightful thing when you feel like you've gotten it right. Yeah, yeah. So, and can you give an example of, of sort of, in, in both of your work, you know, in your project, working with children or, or with world-famous artists, can you think of an example of a case where you really believe in someone, in, in some music, and you can't quite 
get it across. You know, you can't quite make it accessible. And tell me about the thing that stands in the way. Well, for me, what what comes to mind, and this is more through my personal observation of the projects that we do out in communities, um, but when we have our teaching artists working directly with our parents, oftentimes, you know, they're building trust very quickly and um, expressing very emotional things immediately, um, and parents are, are writing lyrics and um, coming up with musical ideas that they want to share, but sometimes there are some roadblocks. Um, sometimes uh, expressing certain emotions can be really challenging, um, mm. and, and putting it to paper and putting it into some sort of musical form um, can be very emotional, and sometimes that is the roadblock of being comfortable mm. sharing that with a complete stranger, being comfortable sharing that with your child, um, and sometimes we have to come to terms with our own self and our own emotions to be able to do that and to be able to, to connect in a creative way um, with ourselves and with others. You're describing something that can be applied to living. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. What about you, Sarah? Can you think of, of a, a piece of music or an artist that, that you know you really are passionate about but somehow can't get people to access it? Well, I think, um, you know, I guess I, I might hearken back to my, my jazz times <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, for, for this one because it feels a bit more familiar in that way. But uh, when I first arrived at Jazz Lincoln Center, um, we, we were having a hard time selling tickets. Uh, it was shortly after the new venue had opened, um, and the organization, while having been in operation for many years, was still new at running a new facility. Uh, purely dedicated to jazz and figuring out how to position that music in a way that was accessible to people was part of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And we did some significant research to understand, you know, what was it we were doing wrong. Um, and I think that's one of the most humbling parts about what we do in the arts is that we have to be, uh, as Lily says, the communication side, what we have to be willing to accept that uh, some, a decision we've made may not have been the right decision, and, and how can we pivot that to make it more accessible to people? Um, so, say more about was, what uh, what was humbling. What what did you find out in in that? Well, um, I, I think we we found out that say the way that we were titling some of our concerts um, wasn't giving people enough information to work with to make a decision huh. about whether or not they wanted to join us for that concert, and um, it, it was, it, it's kind of that unique moment where artistic and marketing have to mash up successfully. Um, mm-hmm. You have to be able to take the core artistic product and uh, and expand upon it in a way that is accessible and understandable to many. Um, sometimes that is very clear and very simple. Other times it is more uh, layered and challenging, and I think that that is the part that is both the hardest but the most challenging when you get it right, or the most exciting, the most rewarding when you get it right. Hmm. Okay. You know, I'm thinking that basically you have to balance um, two positions, right? The, the one who knows what this can do, right, and try to persuade it to bring it to people in, in with the posturing of, I have something that I want you to try. I know what this can do. But to balance that with the not knowing, right, with trying to put yourself in the other person's shoe to to understand what you may not know 
so as to be more open and more humble. And um, in that way, it's very much like doing therapy. Great. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> There you go. It's uh, and it's really right, hard so, to do that. It is, <laughs> right? I can talk to all those people at once. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the beauty of it, right? As you said, it's it's amazing when you hit the right note, the right balance, when you figure it out. Um, right. What do you think of your jobs as creative, or you know? What is the creative element of your jobs that you really enjoy? Because as I, I think that you both come from, you know, a creative education background. So what, what is the part of your job now that is creative that you really enjoy? Hmm. Well, I'll say... Um, from, from, for, uh, go, our, go, go ahead, Tiffany. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you go first. Go um, ahead. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now no, you sound like two working. Asian women. <laughs> <laughs> So, so we're we're really working very closely with community partners on an ongoing um, basis, and oftentimes they're informing how our programming um, is designed because they are basically. And I'll just say for Lullaby, we actually were approached by a hospital that said, "How can you bring a songwriting project to our pregnant teen mothers to help them bond with their children?" And so um, we're constantly responding um, in very creative ways to actually address needs that the community is expressing to us. Um, and so that requires a level of responsiveness, um, creativity, and also mindfulness. Um, and so I think we're always trying to um, reflect. We are very reflective on what our practice is, and that comes with a lot of creativity. So how can we um, come up with new solutions and new ways um, to approach the work, to um, design new elements of, of this creative project, um, and to work creatively with our, with our community partners. Um, so that side of it for me has been pretty creative, trying to think about the things that work, things that may not work as well, um, and, and really adapting our programs to, to be responsive to that. What about you, Sarah? Um, I mean, I think for me it's, it's similar to Tiffany a little bit in terms of that we're constantly reacting and trying to understand the best way to communicate with people. Um, and a lot of it's very easy in the world that I am in as far as promoting concerts to say what, come out with what is challenging about an event, why it, it will not work, why it will not sell, mm-hmm. why it will not resonate. And for me, the constant dialogue I'm having is how to turn that over, turn it on its head and say, well, you're considering that as a problem. How can we make it a positive? Um, mm. What What is positive? And, and kind of pivoting from there because um, it's just so, it's so much easier to spend your energy, uh, to waste your energy kind of complaining about the things that are hard. Um, but it's, it's so much more uh, rewarding to actually think about what, what you can do to, to shed light on the positive elements of something. So that's kind of how I think about the creativity is that I have to think about um, constantly, am I saying something in a way that someone understands? Uh, they saying, am I saying something that, they can understand quickly that they they are inspired by, um, then that inspires them in turn to take action. So if I'm not doing that, I'm, I'm missing the creative element of my work. Mm-hmm. So, so speaking of creativity, you work closely with people who 
make art, right? Can you say a little bit of, of what you have learned or observed of the creative process or impulse in, in these artists? I mean, for me, um, I have learned that, I guess, again, going back to my time in jazz, uh, when I was being with um, Winton Marsalis, who is the head of, of Jazz at Lincoln Center, he would say, if the audience doesn't get it, then as an artist, you're not doing your job. Um, mm. not, not in those words exactly, but he really cared about the audience experience, and I think that was, that was just an incredibly powerful learning for me just to see, like, it's not just about, oh, we're making art and, and uh, we're expecting everybody to get on, on board. Um, he genuinely wanted the audience to have that positive experience coming out of the room. So I, I was inspired by that. I'm reminded here yeah. again, I'm sorry, but it's very annoying what, how I keep referencing back to me and what I do. <laughs> I'm reminded of, of the therapy process too, you know, and often I tell uh, my students that it doesn't matter how smart you are and how well you have the insight into the patients. You know, if you say something and the person doesn't get it, then it's worthless, you know, the piece of insight or advice that you're giving. So, you know, it's basically the same process of how to reach the other person. If what you're right. offering is not tailored, you know, in an empathetic, intelligent way, then it's, it's useless. Um, do you notice that in, in the families and children too, Tiffany? Well, I think, you know, there, there are certain things that we bring to the experience, but um, I, I've become more interested in, in learning what families and, and parents bring themselves and what we can learn from them. Um, and, and I think primarily through, through the Lullaby Project, um, it's really opened my, my eyes to seeing everyone as an artist, as an active agent within their own mm. communities, within their own families, um, and the role that they play as creative beings and as artists in their own right. Um, and, you know, they, we have moments when they're recording or when they're performing live or just singing with their child, and those are really amazing moments that are not highlight, highlighted on a, on a big stage necessarily, but they're still really artistic moments and moments when parents are the artists. And so um, as much as we can learn from them, too, about how they envision themselves as such um, and, you know, how our programming can, can help to foster that and support that and highlight that. Okay. Amen to that. <laughs> we are coming to a close, unfortunately for me. I know you guys have a full, rich day ahead of you, <laughs> but I have to stop. So I'm so grateful. And, you know, this was really delightful. And um, to you all out there, please go make art, take art, take it in, and check out the Lullaby Project. Um, so goodbye, everyone. Thank you for tuning to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human. Please join Dr. Leanne Nguyen again next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And enjoy being alive.